Friends, today we proclaim uh, this good news, that in the midst of our confusion, our unbelief, and our failure, God shares the glorious presence with us in the face of Christ, strengthening us to bear our cross and transforming us into his likeness as we walk with Jesus in his events. Um, I didn't have a good story to tell you this morning until about half an hour ago when I finally reached out to my uh, fellow preachers and said, guys, I don't have a good story. Can you guys think of anything that was good news? Any story I could share that would help everybody connect to the good news as part of how we preach together? So anyway, that's, that's another issue. Why did I wait until Sunday morning? <laughs> I know why, basically. That's just some bad news that works in my life, but I'll take care of this. I got this. I don't need to ask myself for help. So anyway, that's another sermon though. This one, uh, Becky reminded me of, uh, of a story. I think that's going to really help us connect. So, uh, this will be new, so just Harry Busevich, he's a brother. And you don't want any spoilers, you should leave the room now. Leave <laughs> for five minutes and back in. Um, but uh, so there's, there's one minor spoiler that one I'm about to share. But in the seventh book of, of Harry Potter, um, they're fighting. The three main characters are Harry Potter and his friends of mine and Ron. And they're they're fighting Voldemort, who's the bad guy. He's he's evil in the He is um, bent on sort of bending the whole world to his will, and uh, he's, he's active in that work. One of the things they discover about Voldemort is that he has, in an attempt to live forever, he has shattered his own soul and, and tried to store slivers or shards of his own soul in a prison object called Horcruxes. Okay? So they discovered that in order to defeat Voldemort, they have to destroy the Horcruxes. And so the whole seventh book, maybe part of the sixth book, is, is tracking down and finding these Horcruxes and, and trying to destroy them because then the world can be rid of evil. We can, we can defeat Voldemort and this can happen. And so they're tracking down these, these Horcruxes and most of the time they're little objects that Voldemort has hidden you know, in various places. But Harry realizes uh, toward the end of the book that he himself is a that Voldemort has accidentally stored part of his own soul in Harry as because he attempted to kill Harry when Harry was stuck. Sorry, So Harry was more than 20 years. So Harry realizes that he himself is a horcrux, and so to defeat Voldemort, he himself must be destroyed. He has to go to his own death. And he realizes this, and so in the, in the meantime, all of this has been happening, and uh, Dumbledore has given the children that are that are fighting for them, he's given them gifts to help them along the way. And one of the gifts that Harry has is a snitch, a golden snitch. And a snitch is a little ball that they use in Quidditch, which, again, that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tiny little ball, and it opens up. It opens up. <laughs> Carlo will take the teaching in class after. <laughs> So anyway, so, uh, so the snitch is this little ball, and, and Harry doesn't know what's inside of it. Harry doesn't know why he has this gift. He doesn't understand what it's for. It has an inscription on it that says, I open up the close. I open up the close. And, 
Up until now, he's not been aware of what this gift is or how it can help him. But as he realizes that he is the final Horcrux and he himself must go to Voldemort not to fight him or fight for his life, but to sacrifice his life, he must, he must go to Voldemort and lay down his life and be killed. And he's not sure what, what happens after that, but he knows that this is the only path forward. As he makes this decision to walk this path toward death, because he realizes that this this is this uh, sorry Dumbledore has given him this gift for this time. Dumbledore has realized that Harry is Horcrux, and the the snitch opens just at this time when he's committed to this path. And what happens? The gift that's inside of it. Uh, I won't get into all of what it is, but the gift that's inside of it is a gift that initially what it does for him is is his friend and his loved one who have been there for him, who have sacrificed for him, who have laid down their lives to protect him, who have loved him, these protective figures in their lives, they, they're sort of phantoms, but they, they, in a sense, come to life, and he's surrounded then by this great cloud of witnesses, if you will, as he goes to face this, as he goes to face Voldemort, this very, very difficult path, he finds that he has the gifts that he needs and encouragement. His friends saying, we've done this for you, walks the path. He's able to do it because he has the encouragement of his friends. He has gift that Dumbledore gives him. Friends, the transfiguration of Jesus is a weird story, but this is the gift that Jesus is giving to his disciples as they walk the path of this It's very much like the snitch, I open it to close, that as they begin to walk this path towards the cross, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a gift so that you can understand why it is necessary for you to walk this path. Because he knows that it's going to be difficult for us. He knows that it's going to be difficult for his disciples. And so that's what the transfiguration is. It's a, it's a weird story, right? I mean, I've been reading it all week, and I feel like, normally as I read things, like more understanding comes to me. I'm like, oh, I see how it is. I feel like this story is getting further and further away from me. I don't get what's happening. I can't explain to you everything that was happening here. But what I'm understanding here is that this was necessary for the disciples to see and experience at this time because of the turn that Jesus had made in his ministry. Walking towards the cross, bringing his disciples, telling his disciples to take the cross and follow him. Here's where we're going. It doesn't look like the path of life. <laughs> I know. But don't worry, there's glory all around us. There's glory in Transfiguration uh, is, is, it happens every year uh, in the liturgical calendar. It's always the Sunday before Lent. So Lent starts Wednesday. Past Wednesday, this Wednesday. And it's always the Sunday before Lent. But anyway, uh, sometimes I wondered why is this? But I think the product of the day that we read, the heavenly booklet, uh, tells us why. As it says in the product of the day, it says, Grant to us that we, beholding thy face the light of his Jesus' countenance, we may be strengthened to bear our cross, and be changed in his life. That's our prayer today. And that's that's what Jesus was doing for his disciples. That's what we need as we enter into this journey of Lent, this journey with Jesus towards the cross. We need this transfiguration glory to, to encourage us to walk this path. So the journey in Lent with Jesus toward the cross, 
Uh, and the cross is meant to kill us. Like, you know, so I wear a little cross around my neck so when we have <laughs> Initially, this would be a pretty gruesome thing to have around your neck. It would be like having a little electric, you know, like an electric chair around your neck. You know, execution instruments. Like, so the cross is meant to kill us. And so Jesus knows this is difficult. It's a journey towards freedom, but it's so counterintuitive that we heard the Transfiguration is given as this vision uh, to empower us, to encourage us on this journey. It reminds us that even though we may suffer on the road, the glory awaits us. And the glory that awaits us is so much greater than the suffering that we endure on the road. And so the transfiguration, the difficulty of preaching it, is that it's not only a story that's meant to be expected in it's a story that's meant to be praised and experienced. So if you guys want to put up the icon, it's going to be helpful for us to have a visual representation. You know, the church fathers told us that uh, icons were the um, icons. Icons were like the, the word of God um, that we can see. But uh, the word of God is not just something we hear; but, uh, it's something that we can see uh, in icons. And so, this is a story. That, again, it's a weird story. Um, it's a story of heaven and earth overlapping. It's a story of the veil dropping from the disciples' eyes for just a moment where they could see what's been true the whole time and what's being revealed to them in this, uh, in this encounter. Um, the uncreated light of God's glory emanating from the human body of Jesus. The disciples being invited into that as they begin their journey for the cross. So we've been on this journey meeting Epiphany. Epiphany has lasted a long time this year, uh, longer than most years, uh, because it's always based on the date of Lent, or the date of uh, Easter, right? Easter's late this year, so it didn't move on. Makes sense. It's math. So we've been on this journey at Epiphany. Um, and Epiphany is about unveiling. Through, through Jesus, we've seen what God is doing in the world. So from the baptism of Christ to the wedding at Cana that we read, and when we began to read about Jesus' announcement of his mission and how it was turning the world upside down, we read, we read about how blessed are the poor now. Woe to the rich. Wow, this is, this is a completely new world. We heard Jesus say, love your enemies now. We've been invited into this counterintuitive kingdom. And this is radically good news for us that God has come and He's changing the world, He's saving the world, but, it's, but it is deeply counterintuitive. I mean, loving your enemies sounds nice when you read it in the Gospels or when you hear Joel preach about it last week, but you don't know my boss. It's me. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's my case. That's my, I'm my own boss. I don't know how hard it is to deal with Right. Yeah. You know, we can say, what were the rich? Sure, but it seems, sure seems like they're having a good time. Mm. Right? Forgiving others, that sounds nice on a bumper sticker, but some people, they just have it coming, right? Mm. This, is the, this is the confusion and the, and the difficulty and the failure that we have. When we hear these words of Jesus, they sound too good to be true. And they also, they also mess with all the ways that we learn how to get what we need how to get the good life, how to get goodness out of life. They mess with us. And so it's deeply counterintuitive. And Jesus, uh, he, does, he doesn't seem to give any relief. Like, he just keeps going. And so what's happening in the Gospel of Luke up until this point, right before this story, Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? And he has a few theories. And then, who do you say that I am? He says to his disciples. And Peter says, you are God's Messiah. You're the one anointed to save us. And right after Peter confesses that, 
Jesus begins to talk about going to Jerusalem. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. You're right, I am the Messiah. Here's how I save the world. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, raised to life. And in Matthew and Mark's gospel, Peter uh, rejects this idea. Right? In Luke's gospel, it's not here. But Peter uh, rejects this idea in the other gospels and says, no, this shit will never happen to you. Why does he say this to Jesus? Because he's got, he said, you're God's Messiah. I know what a Messiah does. I know how a Messiah saves Israel. I know how a Messiah makes Israel great again. You know? Like, we have an idea of how this goes. Right? You find the bad guys, you get rid of them. That's how, that's how you say it. So Peter's got an idea of this, and so Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. That doesn't matter. But Jesus is relentless. He says, listen, anyone who wants to follow me must take up their cross. Like, you get to die too. It's not just me. You get to take up your cross. Follow me. You try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you'll save it. Right? That's hard stuff. I mean, it sounds nice, nice words. But really, what does that mean? And how do we do that? And the disciples are struggling with it. And this is the scene that happens in the next 15. You notice the gospel where you start with, uh, right after Jesus had said this, these are the things that he says. Right after he says them, he invites Peter, James, and John up on the mountain to pray. Because, why? I think he knows how hard this is. I think he knows how difficult this path is. I think he looks at his disciples and he doesn't say, you idiots. Why can't you pull it together? He looks at his disciples and he says, I know this is so hard for me. Let me show you the glory that will be to Let me show you the glimpse of the future that can be yours if you'll walk with me on this path. I know it's coming to me. I know it's difficult. <coughs> it's difficult for us too. Like, all this stuff sounds nice in the sermon, right? To feel inspired. <laughs> Back to our jobs on Monday morning. Right? Hard. You know. Sure seems like when I get back to my job on Monday morning that it would be a good idea to tell this person just what a jerk they Right? It sure seems like a good idea to do something different than what Jesus says in the Bible. Taking up my cross sounds nice when I read it in the Bible. But one of my spouses criticized me again. Like, I don't want to take up my cross, I want to take up my defense team. Right? We're confused about how to follow Jesus. We don't really believe most of what he says to us most days. And we fail daily to do it. We are a mess. Just like the disciples. So, Jesus takes his disciples off the mountain. This is a gift Today we proclaim the good news that in the midst of our confusion, our unbelief, our failure, God still shares His glorious presence with us in the face of Christ, strengthening us to bear our cross, transforming us into His likeness as we walk with Jesus in His name. The text says, and our icon shows, that as He was praying, the appearance of His face changed, His clothes became as bright as a flash of light. You'll notice this Jesus, the way He's depicted. Um, that, that, that the 
17. And he speaks up. And he says, uh, hey, this is great. It's good for us to be here. Let's set up shelter. Like, this is awesome. Right? You can understand. This, let's keep this going. Let's put up three shelters. This, this is more like it. None of that cross going to Jerusalem and suffering and dying. This is what I'm talking about. Like, this is the science stuff right here. And so, uh, but he's still confused, right? Peter's still confused. Luke wants to help us understand that this is not the right way to respond to this mission, right? Because he didn't know what he was saying. It was hard for him, though. Friends, it's good news for us because in the midst of our confusion and unbelief and failure, God shares His glorious presence with us in the face of Christ. And it strengthens us to bear our cross. And it transforms us into His likeness as we follow Jesus into that. So Peter is interrupted then by a cloud that comes and envelops them. A voice comes from the cloud and says, This is my son, and I have Listen to him. We don't need three shelters. Jesus isn't getting a promotion by hanging out in this This is my son. He fulfills all the law of God. Listen to me. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is what God has to say. Listen to him. Jesus alone remains the revealer of who God is, what God has to say, how God works in the world. We don't need three shelters. And actually, we don't need shelters at all. Because we're not standing here on the mountain. We're going back down into the messiness of the next scene is the disciples failing. The next several scenes are the disciples struggling, not knowing what's going on. And Jesus saying, Go on in. This good news is saying, Go to the cross. And so the experience of seeing kind of turns to hearing as God speaks and tells us to listen to Jesus. So, disciples, I know you're confused about how to live in this new kingdom. Listen to Jesus as he tells you to love him. I know it's hard to believe that embracing death would lead to life, but listen to him as he helps you take up the cross and follow. Listen to him when he says the Son of Man must suffer. Listen to him when he says whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Friends, in the midst of our confusion and our unbelief and our failure, God shares his presence with us. His glory comes to us. And it strengthens us to bear our cross. Starts Wednesday, March 6th this year. We're going to have a 7 p.m. service. I hope you guys can make it. Uh, we're going to have a joint service of Spirit and Joy. It's a lot of fun. We'll compose ashes. If, if you have questions about that, most of you guys know that. Um, that's how we're going to begin Lent um, after Wednesday. Lent is a season of 40 days in preparation for Easter. It's making space in our lives to see the glory of God, to, to, to wake up from our sleepiness and see what God has been sharing. During the season, our, our church is ordained kind of green and white, uh, but the building will be ordained in purple. Uh, adorned in purple, sorry, not ordained, adorned in purple. That was a reference that was in my head. 
is a reminder of Christ's uh, loyalty. We'll remove Hallelujah from our liturgy. Unless we forget. Um, and we'll have some more uh, confessional elements. And we're creating space in night to contemplate the Lord's glory, to be able to live our lives more and more fully in alignment on Jesus. So the traditional disciplines of Lent are uh, fasting, prayer, and what we're called just called generosity. And uh, these disciplines are not meant to, they're not a way of kind of showing God how righteous we are. They're not a way of punishing ourselves for our own sin. These disciplines are meant to draw us closer to Jesus, to open up more space in our lives, to see Him, to hear from Him, to know Him. That's what they're meant to do. Um, there's, some, there's some stuff in the email uh, that, that can maybe help you get ready for that. Um, we have some daily prayer books that I'll talk about in the announcements. Um, if you want to start a habit of daily prayer, um, we've got ways for you to do that. So I, I want to invite us to respond like this, like to just think and pray right now about how you want to engage in that this year. What is Jesus inviting you into? As he invites you on this journey toward the cross, what is, what is the commitment that, that you want to make? What is Jesus inviting you into? As Paul wrote in the Second Corinthians passage that we read today, we, we have these unveiled faces contemplating the Lord's glory. But I think even though the veil has been removed of, of, the, of the law and Christ gets, gets removed, right? Um, even though that's been removed, we have ways of veiling our own faces. Don't we? We have little addictions that we keep in our back pockets. We have little indulgences that keep us enslaved, that keep us dull, that keep us sleepy, like the disciples on the mountain. We lose glory all around us. We stay sleepy because we feel the same. So, what is Jesus inviting you to give up in Lent so that you can wake up to his glory, his presence in your life? Is it social media? Is it food or drink? Is it alcohol? Video games? Tobacco? That one might be good to give up this coming. <laughs> Let's just spend a couple moments in silence listening, listening for his voice. 